0: So this morning we're in chapter 20 of Genesis. It's going to seem like deja vu. You're going to feel like you've heard this story before. What? Didn't we just read about this? That's what you're going to think when we go about it. There's a quote by comedian Stephen Wright that says, right now I'm having amnesia and deja vu at the same time. I think I've forgotten this before. (laughs) You might. So you're going to feel like we've read this chapter before. We haven't. Though, in some ways, we have. Uh, the similarities to, of this chapter to the end of chapter 12 are no coincidence. Uh, but what it's going to show us is that when it comes to our sin, we often rely on the same old tricks, right? We slip back into the same old habits. We are repeat offenders. Let's read Genesis chapter 20. We're going to read the whole chapter. It's 18 verses. It says, from there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her. So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. And then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then return the man's wife. For he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning, called all his servants, and he told them all these things, and the men were very much afraid. She is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, This is the kindness you must do me at every place to which we come. Say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. And to Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you and before everyone you are vindicated. And then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech and also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I thank you, Lord, for the picture that we see here. And I thank you, Lord, for the fact that the Bible does not cover the warts or hide any of the mistakes that great men of faith make, and it's there for us to learn from. It's there for us to, to grow from. And we pray, Lord, that you just teach this, and we just take this into our hearts, and that we learn how to apply this to our daily lives. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So Abraham's been living in the same area for like 20 to 25 years. Remember, anybody remember Abraham's postal code? His street address? Right? It's the Oaks of Mamre. He pretty much settled there and he hasn't moved since he came into the land of Canaan for the most part. However, now, here in verse 20, Abraham decides to move. I would venture to guess the views that he once enjoyed Have changed uh, with the destruction of the cities in the valley, and the Sodom and Gomorrah, and possibly the smoke and the ash. Right, something we can relate to recently. Were a little bit too much for his household to handle. Remember, it's not just Abraham and Sarah. He has this whole village, right? It's a whole camp. You have Hagar and Ishmael still living with them. You know, you have all the ranch hands. You have, it's over 300 people easily they are living with Abraham. So to pick up and move is a big operation. But, you know, he decides to get up and move. And so they head down into the Negeb, which is the desert region south of Israel. And it says that he dwelt between Kadesh and Shur, and then that they sojourned, which means they wandered temporarily for some strange reason, into the land of Gerar. Now, Gerar was at the time the capital city of the Philistines. The Philistines were descendants of Ham. Uh, Abimelech was the king of Gerar. And Abimelech is a title. It's not a name. It's like Pharaoh. Right? So you might run into other king Abimelechs. Uh, and it doesn't mean they're the same person. That's all that to say because it's just a title. But Gerar was a wealthy city. It controlled a lucrative caravan route. Abraham was wealthy, so maybe he, you know, you know, he he had some business dealings in mind by going into Gerar, a really wealthy city on the trade route, etc. You know, maybe he just wanted to see the sights. I don't know why he wandered into Gerar. I'm not sure Abraham know exactly why he wandered into Gerar. I'm not sure that after he wandered into Gerar that he felt like he should have been there. Um, it was obvious that Abraham was a little uneducated to maybe. Uh, about the city, about the people of the city, about who ruled the city. Maybe he should have done a little bit more research before he just wandered in. But regardless, he wanders into the city and once he gets into the city, he seemed to, knew, seemed to know that they were going to be in trouble. Right? Because he later he says to the king down in verse 11, which we just read, he tells him, I could tell right away this was an ungodly city. Right? Verse eleven, I did it because I thought there is no fear at God at all in this place. Somehow he knew immediately this was the wrong place to be, right? He'd gone on the wrong side of the tracks. He probably shouldn't have vacated the town as turned around and just done a U turn and left the town right away. You know sometimes as soon as you drive into an area that you shouldn't be in that area. It's that type of a it's that type of a thing. It's like that neighborhood down where Eddie's yeah, relatives are in California. I can't remember the name of the neighborhood, but we've wandered off the freeway into the neighborhood by accident. And then Eddie's like, "We well, hurry up. we got to get back on the freeway again. Right? It was like, you know, we don't want to be in this neighborhood too too much. Right? Get out as soon as you get in there. So, but this is similar, right? To what we read in Genesis chapter 12 when Abraham went down into Egypt. So, now Abraham went down into Egypt back in uh, chapter 12 because of a famine. And the Egyptians of course he knew that they were known to be cruel, that they were known to be immoral and they were sexually promiscuous and it was it was commonly known that the Egyptians would kill the husband to take the wife. So pretty much for those same reasons Abraham goes into Gerar and he's like, "Okay, oops. We shouldn't be here. Tell them you're my sister." Right? Fearful of their lives, he says, tell them you're my sister. Abraham thought he could take matters into his own hands. Uh, However, it turns out he wasn't really prepared. In this area, pretty much just like in Egypt, at this time, the king had the right to choose any woman that he wanted for any purpose that he wanted, be it political or personal, as long as she wasn't already married. Now, You know, they built up their harems for more political reasons than personal reasons a lot, because the bigger the harem, you know, the better the king or whatever. You know, there's a political uh, stance behind it. And you kind of think, well, I don't know, man, Sarah is like 90 years old and pregnant with Isaac. The king was like, oh, yeah, bring Sarah into my harem. She must have been, I mean, rejuvenated because of the pregnancy, right? She must have she been rejuvenated. The king was like, oh, bring, bring her into my harem. So, like I said, but they normally didn't take women who were married. That wasn't the normal thing. I'm not going to say they didn't do it. I'm going to say they normally didn't do it. How did they get around that? Well, they just killed the husband. That's how they got around that, because then she's no longer married, right? So this is what they feared. That, and so Abraham... And Sarah fall right back into the same thing that they did like 20 some odd years ago. Tell them you're my sister. The king hears that. Matter of fact, it tells us that Sarah even said of Abraham, he is my brother. So it's not like just Abraham's in on this and he just made this all up on his own. Uh, She's in on it too, right? It's something that they've been doing for a while as we read in the chapter, right? It's no big deal. The king says she's just Abraham's sister, right? Well, I'll just take her into my harem, but God that's all I have to say really, concerning most of this, even for us, when we take these types of steps, which are motivated more by fear than by faith um, but God, but God, who's looking out for us when we 're stupid God right <laughs> when we take when we do these things, who's the one who's got our back God, right so thankfully, Abraham can say but god because that's what happened next just as what happened when abraham went down to egypt god intervenes right god's faithful despite our unfaithfulness he's going to protect abraham and sarah despite themselves right regardless of their mistake god's not going to allow his promise to abraham and sarah to be broken he's not going to allow it right so and you should actually find hope in that That should bring you hope, to know that despite your mistakes, despite your unfaithfulness, God is going to see it through. He will start what he finishes. Your salvation is not based on whether or not you're stupid, Mm -hmm. thankfully. You can make all kinds of mistakes in your walk with the Lord, and he is going to be there for you to bring you back out and to get you on the right path no matter what. So you should find hope in that. So I like what the Lord does. He immediately appears to Abimelech in a dream at night. We get a little picture here that we didn't see down in Egypt. He immediately appears to Abimelech in a dream at night, and he starts it off with this one phrase, Abimelech, you're a dead man. <laughs> right? If Abimelech didn't know who the one true God was or how powerful the one true God was, he did now. Right? Because he appears to him in a dream, and then he says, Abimelech, you're a dead man. He's like, oh, thank <laughs> Thanks for waking me up, right? But look at the Bimelech's response to the Lord. He says, "Will you kill an innocent people?" Right? I'm innocent. I'm innocent. I mean, it means righteous or just. Actually, when you look at the Hebrew, I- I'm I'm righteous. Are you going to kill a righteous person? I'm the righteous king of Abimelech. Are you gonna Are you going to kill me? Would you do that to me? I haven't I haven't touched her. He said. She was his sister. She said, he is my brother. I haven't done anything wrong. Right? It's funny how we see ourselves as compared to how others see us. It's funny how we see ourselves even though we should know how God sees us. I like how he says, Abimelech says, Lord, will you kill an innocent person? Uh, and he says, in the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Right? And the Lord replies to him and he says, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. He doesn't say anything about the innocence of his hands. Right? He says, I know that you've done this in the integrity of your heart. And then the Lord adds this. He says, it was I who kept you from sinning. It was like, you can call yourself righteous and just all you want. The only reason you didn't do anything yet was because I didn't allow it. That's the only reason of like. But yes, I understand that they lied to you. I understand that they weren't being truthful. I understand all that. right? But it was me who kept you from sinning. Abimelech, you were in the right. But you're not righteous. You're not innocent. It was me who kept you from sinning. And for that matter, the king was already dead. I mean, if we really want to get into technical details, you were dead and your trespasses and sin. The king is not a believer. The king was already dead. But when God needs to, God will even protect a pagan king to get done what he needs to do for us, for example. Right? So that he can restore Abraham and Sarah and bring them out of this mess. So he tells the king, he says, I want you to restore Sarah to Abraham. Restore her back to her husband. The word in Hebrew means even reject. Reject her. Just say, no, not good enough. Go back, right? And this is what God says then about Abraham. He says, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet. It's the first use of the word prophet in the Bible. And the first person who's called a prophet is Abraham. We don't think of Abraham as a prophet necessarily with how we think of prophets. But God says Abraham is a prophet. Matter of fact, the only way that you're going to live, Abimelech, even though they lied to you and, and, and you did this, right? In the integrity of your heart, and I understand, you're a dead man. And the only way you're going to live is you're gonna, if you allow this person who lied to you and who put you in this position to come pray for you so that you will live. So return his wife to him. Because if you don't, you're all going to die. All of you. You and your entire household. All of your wives. Right? All of everyone in your harem. Everyone. You're all going to die. So Abimelech didn't get much sleep. (laughs) Tells everyone, Right? tells everyone says he rose early in the morning called all the servants told them everything and they were very much afraid of course they were right god had just told them they were all going to die unless they returned sarah to abraham and he prayed for them unless he abraham intervenes for them unless abraham intercedes for them they're all afraid It's a great little picture of this conversation because we didn't get this picture back in Genesis chapter 12 when, when Abraham went down into Egypt, we didn't see this conversation between God and the Pharaoh, for example, all we read in Genesis chapter 12 was that the God afflicted Pharaoh with great plagues. But yet when Abraham, right, when he met Abraham again, he said, why have you done this to me? How come you didn't tell me she was your wife? He knew, right? Pharaoh knew. So Pharaoh must have had a... I'm going to assume that Pharaoh probably had a very similar conversation with God that Abimelech did. At this point, Abimelech and his whole family and everybody, guess what? They have a literal fear of God at this point. It's something that Abraham should have had but right now, Abraham, I mean, you would have expected him to be walking by faith, right? But instead he was acting, his actions were entirely motivated by the fear of man. It had nothing to do with fear of God. And the one who has the fear of God is the pagan, is the pagan king, who's truly fearing God at this moment. And here's a truth that you need to remember, right? Right? fear of man and faith in God don't dwell together. They cannot dwell together. It tells us in Proverbs twenty-nine, twenty-five that the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. You can't fear God or put your faith in God and fear man. Because they work against each other. So Abimelech brings Abraham back to him and he just lays into to him. Right? You can imagine what he tells him. You can imagine the you know how Abraham even felt. He says, What have you done to us? How have I sinned against you? That you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin. You have done to me things that ought not to be done. Abraham, how can you have done that? How can you have treated me this way? Well, God lets the king rebuke Abraham for his sin. Don't think God was justifying anything that Abraham had did. He was allowing the king to rebuke him. Just like Pharaoh rebuked him back in Genesis chapter 12. See, Abraham and Abimelech, of course, they have two different standings before God. One is saved, the other is lost. Abraham should have been the upstanding and shining example of, you know, good character here. The one set apart to God. Yet it would seem that Abimelech was the one who was showing excellent character. Not Abraham. Right? Abraham, the friend of God and the father of faith. So what does God do? God allows Abimelech to rebuke Abraham. Right? Why didn't God rebuke Abraham directly? I mean, obviously God wasn't happy. Why do you think it was better for Abraham to be rebuked by the pagan king than by God himself? Because it made him come face to face with his sin and face to face with the effect that his sin had on those who he sinned against. Our sin affects others and often with disastrous results. How ashamed and humiliated do you think Abraham was? Trying probably to crawl back into his skin and, you know, back out the door nice and easy. Oh my goodness, right? He was humbled by the Lord through a pagan king. Right? Pharaoh sent Abraham packing and sent him out of Egypt. But Abimelech, we get a little bit more of a conversation here. He wants answers. He wants answers. And so he says in verse 10 to Abraham, what did you see that that made you do this thing? Right? Why did you do this to me? What possessed you to act in this way? How is it that you thought that this was the right choice? Abraham, tell me. Come on. Tell me why. And Abraham says, as we read earlier, he says, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. I did it because I was afraid. I was sure you're going to kill me and just take my wife. You notice that King. Ne- one thing that the King never says here, he never says we were not going to do that. The King never says, "Oh, we wouldn't have done that." No, he he never he never says anything like that. He pretty much says, "Oh, he's probably not." We might have done that. That's probably true, right? Abraham was like, surely the fear of God is not in this place. And Abimelech doesn't deny it. (laughs) He doesn't deny it. Yeah, you know. But that really wasn't the point. I mean, whether the fear of God was there or the fear of God wasn't there really wasn't the point. The point was, did Abraham trust God or not trust God? You would think that Abraham by now was trusting God. That this whole type of experience is behind him 20-25 years later. Oh, this is an ungodly pagan city we're wandering into. No worries. God has promised to protect us. We don't have anything to worry about. I don't need to worry about what they're going to do to anyone in our tribe to me or Sarah or to anyone because God's going to protect us they're ungodly they don't do anything the way we do we're completely different than they are they practice things that are completely immoral and wrong it's okay we're going to be protected but that was not his reaction his reaction was "Uh, tell him you're my sister right let's lie about it and see if we can't get out of town See, Abraham and Sarah had convinced themselves that they weren't lying. Right? Because there's this half-truth involved in it. Because technically, she was his sister. Right? I feel, it's almost like that song, I'm My Own Grandpa. (laughs) But Abraham says, besides, you can just hear his voice when he's giving this excuse out, right? To the king, besides, she is indeed my sister. The daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. So, as you know, she is my sister, half sister. It's technically right. So, well, he wasn't lying. So I'm good, right? Sorry to cause you any problems, right? Abraham and Sarah had convinced themselves they weren't telling a lie because it was, you know, a half truth. Half truths aren't as bad as an outright lie, are they? To quote Warren Wearsby, uh, half-truth has just enough fact in it to make it plausible and just enough deception to make it dangerous, (laughs) right? This was just an attempt to justify his actions, to justify his sin, to justify his lie by saying it was really the truth. No, it was was true. It was true. But a half-truth said with the intent to deceive is just a whole lie. That's just what it is. Right, but, but if that wasn't bad enough, here's where the excuse gets even worse. You want to see where Abraham is at this moment, at least mentally. He's putting his foot farther into his mouth with what he says next. Because he says, in verse 13, and when God caused me, oh, oh, when God caused you, When God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is like 25 years ago, which means this is how long Abraham and Sarah have been doing this. When God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do to me at every place to which we come. Say of me, he is my brother. Oh, God caused you. This is God's fault now? right. When God caused me to wander, in the Hebrew it means to go astray. And literally in the Hebrew it means to stagger intoxicated. There's a quote that, to so understand the Hebrew word that's being used here, it says that the Hebrew word, this specific Hebrew word, occurs 50 times in Scripture. And it's never used in a good sense. Right? So when Abraham is saying, God caused me to wander. It's it's not saying that politely, right? It's used of animals going astray. It's used of drunken men staggering around intoxicated. It's used of sinful seduction. It's used for uh, a prophet lying, which causing the, and causing the people to, to stumble or err, right? Uh, it's 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 talking it used, It's used in the description of a lying heart, for example. There's six other Hebrew words that could have been used to translate wander here. All of which were far better than the one that's being used here by Abraham. Because what Abraham is saying is, well, it's God's fault. I mean, in reality, king, (laughs) you know, it's God's fault. Because God caused me to stagger out from my house 25 years ago, intoxicated, and wander into the land of Canaan. I've been stumbling about, you know. And I told my wife, I told Sarah, well, wherever we go, just say you're my sister. And we had to do that to protect ourselves because it's God's fault for putting us in this situation, and it's God's fault for yeah. It's a gray area. It's a little loophole there. Yeah. I had my lawyers look at the contract. We're we're good, right? I mean, God put me in that position. It's just what I had to do to protect myself. It's God's fault. It's okay. But yet what it seems like Abraham forgot, of course, is one of the first promises that God told him, which is I'm going to bless those who bless though and curse those who curse you. 25 years ago, Abraham, this is what I told you when I sent you out into the promised land, sent you out to go into the land of Canaan. I said, I'm going to bless those who bless you and I'm going to curse those who curse you. Had you forgotten that? (laughs) Had you forgotten that, Abraham? It's not my fault. That's not my fault, Abraham. You're just scared and you don't trust me. And you need to trust me. I'm going to protect you, Abraham. How many times have you seen me protect you, Abraham, over the last 20 to 25 years? Why did you forget here? Why is it when you wanted into this town, all of a sudden you forgot that I was going to protect you? It's not my fault, Abraham. Right? It's not God's fault. It's your fault, Abraham. And the only reason you're going to come out of this mess unscathed it's because of the grace of God and His great love for you. So then, just like the Pharaoh did in Genesis chapter 12, Abimelech now is going to give presents to Abraham as well. Abraham's always coming out wealthier than when he went in, even every time. right? I mean, talk about someone who's profiting off his sin. Abraham, profits off his sin. That's probably a different conversation. But you know, it's just like every time he goes into these situations, makes a mistake, he comes out of it wealthier. God's blessing him in the process, even while he's being rebuked for his stupid mistake. This was kind of like what the king would have paid him for his sister, so he gives him all these things, and he, and Abraham accepts them. The last time we see that any king try to offer Abraham anything, he didn't accept it. He says, "There is nothing that you can offer me that I need." But this time, he probably thought. I'd better accept it. I've already pissed this king off so much anyway. It'd be best if I get out of town as quick as I can. So he, he takes the stuff, right? I'll accept it, okay. I don't want to make him any more upset, even though Abraham is the one who should have been giving the gifts. And we shouldn't forget that. I mean, it tells us in Romans 12, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so, you he will heap burning coals on his head. Who's heaping burning coals on whose head here? If truly King Abimelech was an enemy of Abraham's, I mean, I mean, he's a Philistine, he's a pagan king in that sense. Abraham and his generosity and his love should have been the one giving gifts to the king, not the other way around. But by doing so, the king is actually the one heaping coals on Abraham's head. Again, right, and he, and you can also. See it in his statement when he speaks to Sarah. Because the king then speaks to Sarah and he says, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. You can probably catch the irony as he's speaking to her. I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. And then he also, you know... Restores Sarah, basically. It's a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you and before everyone you are vindicated. Right? I didn't mean to do anything about your reputation, Sarah. I didn't mean to harm you or your reputation. I'm covering the offense. And then it says, Abraham prays to God, and God heals Abimelech and heals his wife and heals the female slaves that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. To me, this is the first example of intercessory prayer. Like when we were in Genesis 18, and, they ta- and a lot of people teach that as one of the first examples of, inter- of interceding, of intercessory prayer with Abraham's uh, conversation with God as they're heading to Sodom and Gomorrah. I don't look at that as an intercessory prayer. But um, here, this is to me the first example of intercessory prayer. Because Abraham had to intercede for the king and pray for him so that he would live. James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. That's what Abraham did. Right? The prayer of a righteous person has a great power as it is working. And Abimelech and his whole household is healed. Right, But what, happened, what had to happen first? First God had to humble Abraham. And once he humbled Abraham God then restored him. And then used him to heal the king. And his whole household. The afflictions that they had were a direct result of Abraham's sin Yet their healing was a direct result of Abraham's intercession. Abraham got himself into and out of the mess. But in the middle, he had to be humbled, restored, and lifted back up by the Lord. And able to do it. What I like is usually in these type of situations, we're hoping just to get out as quick as we can. We've been embarrassed, we've been humiliated. Someone called us on our sin. We have no excuses, and the excuses we have are pitiful. They, they make no sense at all, right? We're just trying to say anything we can and back out as quick as we can so that we're gone. We can drive on down the road and put it behind us and be like, oh, I survived. I can't believe that I was that stupid. But you know what? The Lord didn't allow him to do that. The Lord didn't allow him to do that. Abraham probably was hoping just to get out, just like in Egypt. The king will just send us out we'll just go on our way and we won't go back down there again. I'm glad we're still alive. The Lord didn't allow him to do that. The Lord said no, I need you to pray for him, Abraham. you know how hard that would be? How difficult that is? To be called on the carpet by someone that you sinned against? To have to apologize, ask for forgiveness. Yes, I'm sorry, that was dumb of me. I should have never done that. I hurt you, I hurt your whole family. And then God says, before you leave, and now I want you to pray for them. The ones you hurt, the ones your sin hurt, those who you just put in a difficult situation I want you to pray for them so that that I can heal them as well through you because even in your sin you have work to do Abraham repented the Lord honored Abraham's prayer because Abraham was repentful Right? he he repented and was restored he can't just back out and try to escape and hope to go away and put it all behind you and hope I'll never see them again. Lord's like, no, I actually have you here for a purpose. Why don't you pray for the king? We're going to end with this. There's a quote by G.K. Chesterton that says, uh, we make our friends, we make our enemies, but God appoints our next door neighbor. There's also, you know, just in case you want to know what a next-door neighbor is, a uh, next-door neighbor is a person who can get into your house in a minute, but it takes at least two hours to get them out, okay? <laughs> That's probably a, a next-door neighbor. But the point, of course, is, is that you don't get to choose who your neighbor is. Proverbs 27.10 says, Better is a neighbor close than a brother far off. But here's the thing. You know, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus' teaching, He says, You have heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for He makes His Son rise on the evil and on the good. And He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even, he says, don't even tax collectors do that? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Don't even the Gentiles do that? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And in that same chapter, Jesus says earlier in that chapter, he says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of a world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Right. Like what we read here with Abraham here with the king of Bimelech and also you know, back in Genesis chapter 12 with the Pharaoh when he went down into Egypt. These things are recorded in scripture not to encourage us to sin. Look what Abraham got away with. Maybe we can do that same thing. Right? It's not what it's written there for. It's to warn us. Right? It's to be- tell us, you know, beware. Look how easy it is for you to fall into the same traps over and over again. Don't be like this is what it's telling us. 1 right? Corinthians 10.12 Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. That's the warning. You think you're so all righteous and everything. Watch this. Right. Here's Abraham and Sarah. They should have been salt and light. Abraham and Sarah, they should have been the ones loving their neighbors. Right? They should have been trusting and fearing God, not just living in fear of man. But why weren't they? Why weren't they? Because they never dealt with this sin. They never dealt with it. It would seem that ever since they started their journey, 20, 25 years ago, when they left Abraham's father's house, this was a common tactic that they used. Right? Right? Proverbs twenty eight thirteen tells us, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. They kept they concealed it, they just kept using it over and over. We have two instances in the Bible that we know of, but I know it was common, and I know it's commonly used, and I know that possibly it's something they still struggled with after this. Though I, we have no record of it, and I'm just saying this why, because Isaac. Six chapters from now does the exact same thing Do the exa- to the king of Emelech. Where did he learn it from? Oh, probably his dad. <laughs> I'm guessing, right? Here's the thing. A home kept together by a lie is in bad shape. If you take pleasure in your sins and you don't deal with them, you don't them away, you don't turn them to the Lord, you don't turn away from them, you keep them in your back pocket for a rainy day. You continue to live in your sin, continuing to live in your lie. It's going to cost you. It cost Abraham some things. Right? It cost him his character. It cost him his testimony. It cost him his ministry. It almost cost him Sarah and Isaac. Because remember again, she was present, pregnant with Isaac. Yeah. Yeah. He, he could have had such a testimony or such a ministry to the king. But he lost all that because of his sin and because of lies. What was Abraham? What was Sarah here? They were repeat offenders. Why is it that we're repeat offenders when it comes to sin? Or certain sins that we just don't seem to ever get away from? You know what the word receivetism, if I'm pronouncing it correctly... Refers, is it pronounced right? Recidivism, something like that, right? It's the ten, it's the tendency of a convicted criminal uh, to repeat a crime after already serving their sentence, right? The United States has the highest uh, recidivism rates in the world, which is another sad story, right? And all that means is, you know, in the United States, for example, according to the National Institute of Justice, almost 44% of criminals return uh, before their first year out of prison. 44%. It's one of the highest in the world. It's 30 some odd percent up here in Washington State. It's the same with sin. Spiritually speaking, we are the same way with our sin when the core issues aren't dealt with when our hearts stay hardened because of the deceitfulness of sin because sin is deceitful and we think oh that's not sin that's, that's that's half true it's okay right i mean she is my sister but after we fall and after god picks us up and after god dusts us off we say we're sorry and we're remorseful and we repent Well, then tomorrow, next week, next year, even 20 plus years down the road again, we pull that sin out of our back pocket and fall right back into the old habits again because we never dealt with it. We didn't cut it away. We didn't surrender it to the Lord. We just left it sitting there. Why? Maybe because of fear. That's what Abraham was dealing with, right? The primary motivation behind Abraham's actions is fear. The Lord had promised to take care of them. These weren't steps of faith. Yes, his fear was justified. Absolutely. However, even if our fears and worries are justified, it doesn't mean that the steps that we take because of those fears are correct. Fear is an immobilizer, or it mobilizes you in the wrong direction, which is away from the Lord. And the fear breeds more fear, as we see here with Abraham. Right? Over 20 years, that seed of fear was still planted and growing. Right? You would think, "Oh, older, he must be wiser, right? He's almost 100 years old. Abraham must be really wise about these things now. No, no. Abraham wasn't very wise about these things. Right? No, as it turns out, he still makes mistakes, unless we yield to the spirit of God, unless we surrender our lives completely to the Lord's will. When the chips are down, when we hit the bump in the road, when we're left to our own devices, when we think we can handle this without the Lord, when fear takes over again, we will repeat in our old age, or maybe just a couple of days past our young age, <laughs> the sinful patterns of our youth. We will. So, what should we do? Deal with the sin in your life, right? This is where our hope is. Our hope is found in the fact that God did not reject Abraham and Sarah in their sin. He didn't leave them there to suffer the consequences of the king. He didn't let the king do anything that would have harmed either one of them. God dealt with them in his mercy and in his grace. He defended Abraham, though he did not defend his sin. He defended Abraham, and by answering Abraham's prayer, it shows that Abraham had repented, and that his relationship with the Lord had been restored, that he had been forgiven. And we never again read of Abraham having an issue like this. I'm not to say he didn't. We just don't read about it again. Right? We never read about Abraham questioning God or his guardianship. Abraham seems to maybe possibly now finally learn his lesson about trusting the Lord. We don't ever have a picture again of Abraham being weak or doubting the faithfulness of the Lord. I mean, some of the steps of faith that Abraham's going to take you know, after this are something you and I probably couldn't even imagine. But look what Abraham had to go through to get to that point. Discipline is never fun. But it is profitable. And it leads to a place of repentance and then brings happiness and holiness and glory to God. So save yourself some headache. Save yourself some headache. Deal with sin. Right? Cut it away. Surrender to Jesus. Be forgiven. Deal with your sins humbly and honestly. Confess them to God. Judge them, forsake them, and leave them on the cross. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the picture that we have here about just how sin, this continues to affect our lives, no matter how great men of faith we are. Abraham is the father of faith. He was a friend of God, and yet he still had his moments where he struggled. We all do, and we always will. But it's how we deal with them and grow from them that's important. We thank you that when we have these moments, Lord, you are with us. You don't forsake us. But God, you come in in your grace and your mercy and you rescue us and restore us. We pray, Lord, that we can continue to deal with our sin, that we can just put it before you, repent of it cut it away, turn away from it, and continue to walk a life of holiness and set apart to you, Lord. We pray, Lord, that we can be salt and light, that we can love our neighbors, that we can be an example to those who don't know you, who don't know you, Lord. We don't want, Lord, to hurt our witness or to hurt our testimony or to hurt our character because we're continuing to live or fall back on these patterns of sin that are destructive and hurt others. So we pray, Lord, that you just help us deal with them. Thank you, Lord, for this. Thank you for your great love. pray you just bless all those who are here, all those who couldn't make it. Bless us this next week. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.